Here we are. Here we are. Your hair looks amazing today. <laughs> my hair does look amazing today, and it's because like I washed it. It's new. Yeah, I do like the your brim hat. is actually leather in the patch. I know. You've worn it a few times. Wow, don't but I like it. <laughs> I, I do like it. I'm glad you wore it today because I think we look good. Yeah, we do. Yeah. Well, wow. <laughs> welcome to Tea for Lunch, a weekly show powered by Arcade Studios. Each week, we'll serve you the top stories we're following in social media, entertainment, celebrity, and tech in 15 minutes or less. You can catch a show live on Instagram on Thursdays at about 12 p.m. Mountain Standard Time or on all podcast providers and YouTube on Fridays. We're your hosts this week. I'm Mitzi and... I'm Mike. Mountain Standard Time, a.k.a. The Last of Us Time. That's right. Oh, my goodness. I'm so excited to talk about um, our good friend, Davey Gravy. He released a really cool video that tracks every single episode of The Last of Us, which is HBO's big hit show. Um, And it was actually all filmed in Alberta. Actually? Actually all filmed in Alberta, where we live. And so he actually like tracked each scene in each episode where it was filmed and it was a really cool video. You should definitely go check it out. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of the locations were like neighborhoods that we've lived in, which is yeah. kind of cool to recognize as we watched. But then Davy's whole roundup of it all to see them all like back to back, the actual yeah. locations against a clip of it, like with the full show treatment was really cool. Totally. I can't believe how much they invested in that show and how much they created like so many additional buildings. Like they created like full sets and buildings and like it was, it's crazy how much they did. And each episode apparently costs $10 million. Yeah. That's wild. Which is crazy. But it's one of the most viewed HBO shows ever, right? Yeah. We watched it. Um, I won't lie. It was a little hard for me to watch. The violence was a little difficult. I watch it like this with like mm-hmm. my hand covering my eyes, but it was really good. The The storyline's amazing. Yeah. And we watched it as people that weren't familiar with the video game. Right. Which I think some people that know the video game were envious of people like us because we just had no idea what was coming. Yeah. But the season one followed pretty closely the actual, um, the actual flow of the game and the, the sequence of events. Although I have heard that season two is likely to be less congruent with the game. Oh, so nice. that could be interesting. Yeah. I heard season two is going to be more violent. Really? More violent. Apparently. Yeah. I heard there's going to be more infected. Ooh. So giddy up. Wild. But if you've seen um, The Last of Us, you should definitely go check out Davy Gravy's video on YouTube um, and it tracks how it was made. He did such a good job, toured all over Alberta. It's really cool to see those places in real life and how they actually showed up on the show. This is not an ad. We're just fans. No, we're big fans. Good job, Davey. Yeah, and I, this might be a hot take, but I kind of felt like the finale was sort of mid. I had, I was, I barely watched it. <laughs> it was like very hectic, like it was very violent, but it just, the episode before that was so much more epic. Um, and it just felt, it left me feeling like I wanted more. I hate when shows show really graphic delivery and labor scenes it's just really hard to watch that yeah so i think like i had to check out for a little bit of that that was episode, tough but that was tough for overall sure. great story i really love the cast really well done pedro pedro he's chilean anyways let's get into the stories okay okay we're gonna talk about the oscars first there was a really beautiful moment some inspiring winners and speeches uh we're gonna talk about ki juan 
Huey, who won Best Supporting Actor for his role in Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. I thought that was such a beautiful acceptance speech and so cool how he has had such a long career in the industry. And I'm pretty sure like Harrison Ford gave him the award and he was like a kid in one of Harrison Ford's movies. So it was like really cool to see that moment happen. And it's just really amazing. Um, he also thanked his mom in his acceptance speech. And he talked about how he was a refugee. And some of these things only happen in movies, but it actually happened to him. And I thought that was really beautiful. I'm going to butcher the last name and I hate this, but Michelle, Michelle, Yale. Oh man. But she won Best Actress for her role in Everything Everywhere All at Once. Um, she's the first Asian presenting woman to win in that category and the first woman of color to win in the category in two decades. And I believe the first person of color to win ever was Halle Berry. And she actually got to present the award, which was also very cool. Um, and I love what she said in her ex- acceptance speech. She said to all the little boys and girls who look like me watching tonight, this is a beacon of hope and possibilities. And this is proof that dream big and dreams do come true. And ladies, don't let anyone tell you you are past your prime, which I love to see. Preach. Um, I also loved that Natu Natu from RRR became the first ever Indian song to win an Oscar. And that was a really cool moment. I love the acceptance speech that he did. Um, It was really sweet. And I just, in the performance of that song was incredible. I was blown away by the dancing, the singing, the choreography. It was like amazing. Um, So that was really cool. Um, And then I also want to talk about that awkward red moment, red carpet moment between Hugh Grant and Ashley Graham. I know the internet's like going crazy about it, but um, if you didn't see it, Ashley Graham was doing the red carpet interviews with the attendees um, before the show. And she had the displeasure of interviewing Hugh Grant, who was clearly so annoyed that he had to be there. And it was just so funny, um, but so cringy at the same time. She's like trying to like stir conversation. And when you're on the red carpet and you're going to be interviewed by people, you kind of have to like give and take a little bit. Like, yes, the question sucks. And yes, it's like, so bland, but like you also kind of have to like lean in and play with it a little bit. Yeah. It's not like editorial. This is just like hype on the red carpet, you know, yeah. so you can like match the energy a little bit, Yeah, and which is weird though. Cause Hugh Grant is so, is generally like pretty charming. Well, he plays charming characters, but I think clearly just we've seen that life. he's maybe just like a grumpy old man. Come on, Hugh. But it was, Step it, it was cringy, but I mean, her questions sucked. Like she was like, and I'm sure he got the same questions from every single like celebrity, like commentator who was like, are you excited to be here? And he's like, in her defense though, Maybe. I feel like she probably didn't plan to ask more than one or two questions, but he just was giving her one word answers. So she was kind of left like, oh, uh, well, what yeah. should I ask next? Being on the spot like that is really hard. We've had moments where we've interviewed people on the podcast oh, and yeah, you ask questions, expecting them to like, you're trying to lead into like a larger conversation and they just don't bite. And then you're like, prompt. and then, yeah. And it's <laughs> so hard to be like, live in with cameras in front of you, like trying to think of something else to say with someone who does not want to participate or like expand. It's a really, really tough thing to do. Yeah. So he was the problem. Yeah. He was the problem. I'm generally, I don't really care that much about the Oscars usually. So I'm glad this was your story, but I will say about this year, I thought it was cool to see just, I feel like there's an evolution happening with shows or ceremonies like the Oscars where like winners are coming from all different sides of the planet, you know, Mm. like to see, uh, 
I think India took home a couple awards. It wasn't just the one for that song. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's just more inspiration happening from people around the world, from talent around the world, rather than just the same old tired, like Hollywood, LA based actors. Right. And it was cool to see this year that a lot of the people who won have been in the industry for so long. And I just, that is, you know, being consistent in something is just so hard to do. And especially in such a tough industry like Hollywood, um, even Brendan Fraser won for his role in the whale. Um, so that was really cool. Cause he's just been in the industry for so long. I also did like to see that for this year, everything everywhere all at once swept most of the awards. I think they won almost every category that they were nominated and we saw that movie and truthfully, it wasn't really for me. It was like a little too chaotic, but I respect how well it was done. And I respect the amount of work that went into it. Like there was like one 30 second clip had like so many scenes and so much choreography and so many lines and like so many special effects. Like it just felt you were like really immersed in a different world. And I do have so much respect for creating that, the Mm -hmm. process of creating that. Like I think that is excellent filmmaking. So from someone who's not a film critic, I do think that they did a really good job. So it was cool to see that. I'm glad you brought that up. Cause I think that's one of the reasons I haven't been that excited about the Oscars is I just feel like critically acclaimed movies hasn't really translated all the time to like movies I want to watch. Except for Coda. Well, yeah, there's exceptions obviously, but I think like there's often like Oscar lists of Oscar winning movies and then you start to go through them and you're kind of just like, oh, that wasn't really what I was expecting it to right. be. But like you said, like the creativity, the production, yes. like the the elements of it are fantastic. Yeah. So I think it's cool to to create that separation in our minds of like there's things worth celebrating about a lot of these films and productions, even if you don't necessarily personally like them all. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think I think that was really cool to see. The other thing that was interesting about this Oscars is that there wasn't really like a meme moment, except I think for maybe Ashley Graham and Hugh Grant's interview, there wasn't like a moment that people could create a meme out of. So that's okay. They except don't all Pedro have to do that. Pedro looking at the camera like this. You know? <laughs> I feel like there was potential there, but yeah. anyways, that's should we boy. move on to the next story? Yeah. So Meta has entered the race to build a Twitter competitor. I think some people might be surprised. Some people likely aren't, but... Um, In the wake of major Twitter changes and uncertainty around the app, Meta has stepped into the ring. Um, They're working on a standalone text-based social networking app that will rival rival primarily Twitter, but also their other competitor, Mastodon. Um, And the news has been actually confirmed by Meta. We've talked a little bit about Twitter recently on this show, um, mostly because I'm excited about Mm -hmm. um, text-based social content. Um, So I'm interested in this. I... It took me a while to figure out what my point of view is, one, on if I will want to use it, but then two, like what kind of like user migration could we potentially see from Twitter to a platform like this? And I think it does make a lot of sense that Meta's doing it right now because Twitter is obviously spinning a little bit ever since Elon Musk took over. Mm-hmm. A lot of people have left the platform. It mm-hmm. obviously still has a huge user base. I think it's still like 30 times the size of Mastodon or even more. Um but it's obviously not the same user base as Meta on like Facebook and Instagram. I think Meta is around 3.75 billion users right now compared to 2.5 million on Mastodon. So this is a real competitor for, for Musk's Twitter. 
Um, and then obviously there's been glitches on Twitter mm-hmm. and advertisers are moving away from the platform. There's a whole lot of just stuff happening. So why not strike while they're down? Right. You know? Normally when I hear that Meta is going to copy another app, I just like eye roll because I'm like, you would. Here like they're again. just such copycats and they're just so like obsessed with copying other apps. But I do think that this is an opportunity for Meta because Meta actually started disband or banning accounts that were promoting other social platforms like Instagram and Facebook. So if you had your social, like your Instagram in your bio, you were actually banned for a little bit. So I think that is an opportunity. Obviously, there's like a lot of people who are interested in text-based um, social platforms like Twitter, but like maybe they just don't align with how the direction that Twitter is going in. So this is an opportunity, I think. So I'm interested. I probably won't be super active, but... You know, I'll watch. But maybe you will. Maybe I'll lurk. The interesting thing is it's going to be a separate platform from Instagram, but so far it sounds like it's going to be Instagram branded. So it kind of reminds me of when they, when Instagram first introduced IGTV and it was actually like a separate app, even though it was an Instagram brand and an Instagram feature. And then over time they amalgamated it back into Instagram and made it a feature and then just got rid of it altogether and, and replaced it with reels. But the, in, the interesting on, thing on top of that is that right now it sounds like they're actually going to just create profiles for anyone that has an Instagram profile with the same bio and photo and login credentials and everything. And even migrate followers from Instagram uh, onto your whatever this new app will be called. Account. I love to see it. I think that's a great move because like I don't want to go through the trouble of securing my own handle again. And then also I think it's cool that they're going to be separate, like keep Instagram, Instagram, and then do, you know, your experimentation on another platform. Yeah. I think there's things to like about it, but there's also question marks that come with it is like one, do people want, do everyone, does everyone want to be on that app? And then no. two, if like Instagram creates profiles for everyone that's on Instagram on this text-based app, but like half or whatever percentage don't actually use it, then what will engagement like be like on that platform? Like for the people that are using it. I actually think it'll be great because I don't think that, I don't think everyone needs to be text-based and not everyone needs to be like image video person. Like that's totally fine. I'm happy that there's going to be separate spaces for them. And I think if, even if that means there's less people on this like Twitter meta platform, I still think engagement rate will be based on who's active, you know? So like, I think it'll still, I, in, in my head, I'm picturing building, seeing a feed of people who are actually using the platform and who are engaged in that space as opposed to like, you know, just a dead feed. So I think it'll be great. Yeah. I guess it depends how you're defining engagement. Cause like engagement rate. Yes. Cause here it'll be go. based on no, what not here we go. Like this is a conversation we should have because inst- engagement rate will be based on impressions or reach obviously which will still be true. Mm-hmm. But if we're talking about volume of engagements, like if you have 2000 followers and only 500 of them are actually active or using the platform, then like your content is just going to fall flat. But I don't think engagement rate would be based on how many followers you have. I don't think how many no, followers. Engagement rate isn't, but right. volume of engagement will be lacking compared to the users or like followers that you have. Right. But Unless they have an algorithm, which I I don't see them having an algorithm where only the people you follow see your tweets or like only like your, I think they'll have an algorithm similar to their Instagram algorithm where it shows up on other people's like feeds the same way that like Twitter does now and the same way as TikTok does now. Right. You'll just have a higher volume of dead accounts, which like no platform wants. But I don't think you'd have, why would you have dead accounts? 
Because if, say, like, you have no intention of using this app, but mm-hmm. Instagram creates a profile with your name and photo and followers, and you never use it, that's just a dead account. Yes, but why would that impact engagement? It impacts the volume of engagement compared to, like, the user, the volume of users. And then, mm. like, on any platform, like, when there's, like, bot accounts and, like, part of your followers are bots, then it just, like, decreases your likelihood of getting engagement. Yeah, interesting. I don't know if you remember, but when Elon was trying to acquire Twitter, that was a big part of the conversation with Twitter was how many spam accounts existed. Yeah. But anyways, put that one to bed. We'll see. See what happens. Okay. You got the next one? Last story. Dev's new campaign is taking a direct stance against TikTok's bold glamour filter. The filter has been getting popularity on the app for being one of the first that doesn't flicker or show obvious signs that it's fake when you move. So the really cool thing about this filter in particular is, is that it used AI and it apparently it used like CGI technology. So normally when you use a filter on TikTok or even Instagram, if you're like hair goes in front of your face, it kind of like blurs a little bit or glitches. Or if you're like moving too fast in the frame or if like your hand kind of like goes over your face too, it'll glitch. But this one doesn't. It's really sophisticated and it just like is a really like good pixel by pixel match. Um, So everyone's been using it on TikTok. It went viral. And then people have been um, having mixed emotions or opinions about it. But a lot of people are actually cautioning against the creation of filters like these. And now Dove is stepping in. Dove's new ad campaign turned turns its back on the bold glamour filter, literally. And the video ad shows people turning away from their phone screen and encouraging watchers that no filter should tell you how to look. So I think this is a really smart play by Dove. Like their real beauty campaign is all about this filter-free kind of like look and that, you know, who you are as a person is just beautiful no matter what. And so I think like it's just really smart for Dove to insert themselves in this moment. Um, And I'm, I'm really... I'm here for it. Yeah. I think the more I think about it, the more I like it. My initial gut reaction when I saw it was that I didn't really like the execution of it because we're talking about like social video, but we're having people turn their backs. Like that's not practical. Like Mm -hmm. you're not going to have people with their back turned to the content that they're creating. But over time I, I, I came to like it more. I like the message too, because I think right now, um, there's a lot of conflict and like polarization and like confrontation of each other on social platforms. So Mm -hmm. the idea of like turning your back more figuratively to those types of moments is probably good because it diffuses things rather than escalating them. Totally. Um, Yeah. And I think there's a lot of talk right now about like the toxic nature of these beauty filters and the impact they can have on people. And then the toxic nature of like social media in general and how that impacts people's self-esteem and things like that. Um, But I think this is just like a personification of setting a physical boundary, Mm -hmm. which is like turning away and turning off things off and not, and choosing not to participate. Self-control. Totally. So I think it was such a smart move and you actually have some details about how it was made. Yeah. One thing that I really like about it too is just how it was, how it came to be. It was executed really quickly. Um, Ogilvy is the agency that was behind it. The story goes that um, Ogilvy was actually in a creative meeting when the bold glamour filter on TikTok dropped and they immediately started discussing it and felt like it was an opportunity for the Dove campaign. Um, so they sent out like a brief to their network and within a couple of days got like a few hundred submissions of like content to be part of the campaign. Um, so it obviously had resonance and they stood the whole thing up within two weeks. 
they came up with the hashtag, the execution, the content and rolled it out with Dove. So that to me is really cool to see because typically you look at an agency like Ogilvy, like something of that size and scale, you expect things to just move slow to take forever from like ideation to execution. But mm-hmm. to see an agency supporting a brand like that um, really quickly and being more agile uh, and their response is really cool. Yeah, we'd love to see it. Um, well, that's all the news that we have for you today. Hope you enjoyed. Have a great week and see you next week. Now that we've wet your palate, go eat something more substantial. Bye.